Good morning, Grace Chapel. It is so good to see you today. I got, I got a song for you. I'm not going to sing it though, so stay in. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It's a children's song. I mean, most of you, I know, a lot of you have, have sung this song. You've heard it. And this children's song was reportedly quoted by the prominent Swiss theologian Karl Barth when he was asked at Princeton University if he could summarize the millions of words contained in his systematic theology that he had spent a lifetime writing. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Doesn't mean you shouldn't read his theology. I'm just saying, and you all thought that fly high-flying uh, high theologians were out of touch with reality. Apparently not. Ever since Jesus Christ offered his life as a sacrifice to completely cover my sin debt, your sin debt, a debt I owed God the Father. We all do. Ever since then, men and women have been willing to die for that children's song. Really, think about it. It summarizes the gospel, the good news, the truth about this life that you and I live every day. Uh, it started with 11 men who knew Jesus the best. And then those 11 disciples, who soon became 12 again, saw the resurrected Jesus Christ in the flesh, and then they risked and gave their lives for the truth of this very fact. The gospel has changed the lives of, of millions of people who've responded to its message by faith alone. Big question, has it changed your life? Has that message changed your life? And could you verbalize that? I mean, living it, that's great. Could you, could you tell somebody? Could you express it today? It claims to be the exclusive and the only way to God. It's, it's a caustic and so offensive thing to say to those who view life through a pluralistic mindset, lifestyle, worldview. And I hope that you remember that we went over that last week when I used that word pluralism in core faith number 10. So Jesus himself said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And one of those 12 disciples who heard him say that echoed this in Acts chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you. He's talking to the Jewish population. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among people by which we must be saved. And I think it's, I think it's just so fitting that I get to deliver my last message to Grace Chapel, and it's focused on our shared core faith, the gospel. All right, Let's try it again. It's shared on our core faith, the gospel. Yeah. So, so, so what is the gospel, really? What, and why, why does it even matter? Uh, and if it matters, what must I do to receive it? What must I do to get saved? How does the gospel affect my life today? When I leave this building, and we have a really nice lunch together, and it's all that, like when I leave this building, I go back out into that world, does it have any effect on me? I mean, anything going on? Um, and once, here's the big question. We're going to do this at the very end. Once I get it, can I lose it? Big question. 
These are just some of the questions we're going to attempt to answer from God's Word as we spend a little time this morning on core faith number 11. Okay, first, why does it even matter? I mean, really, what's, what's the big deal? Well, for those of you who have not heard or you have heard but you decided not to believe in the gospel message of Jesus Christ, your eternal future depends on this. That's how much it matters. Um, heaven or hell, bliss or, or, or torment, with God, without God. Now, some of you could say, well, well, Pete, Pete, come on. I already know the gospel. I mean, I could come up there and tell the gospel to everybody. So, this is just going to be a review. Really? Your last message? This is just going to be a review lesson? It's good news, Pastor, but it's, it's old news. Well, first, let me remind us all, we are forgetful people, aren't we? I mean, I'm forgetful. At least I've been told that. Not by Sandy. Oh, no, no, never. Not by Sandy. And I think we all need reminders, and we all need constant review. Uh, in 2 Peter 1.12, there's Peter again. He's saying, therefore, I intend always, he's, he's writing to, to uh, the, the church, and he's saying, I intend always to remind you, <laughs> and he goes on about the qualities that I'm talking about, what a Christian is supposed to be like, though you know them, I know you know them, I, I don't, don't give me in. and you're establishing the truth that you have, but I'm going to remind you. Now, if Peter says we need to be reminded, this Peter is saying we need to be reminded too, okay? I need this. I mean, seriously, I need this. You need this. Our friends and our families who we love need this desperately. Detroit needs this more than the Lions winning a Super Bowl or, or just having a winning season. I, I, sorry, Matt, I had to get that in there. This is my parting shot, all right? Go Tide. Uh, roll Tide, sorry. Second, I would ask those of you who say, some of you who say we know the gospel, uh, do we know it well enough to be able to share it, to be able to live it, to be able to love it with everyone we meet? So, our word for the day, what is it? What is it we think it's going to be? Gospel, absolutely, yes. Word for the day, it's gospel. What is the gospel. Well, the English word gospel comes from a Greek word, as most of the words we've looked at this summer have, um, and it's euangelion. And it's, in its essence, in English, it means good news. Good news. And in the New Testament, it specifically refers to God's good news to people about Jesus Christ. Uh, it can also refer, maybe you've heard this, it can also refer to one of the first four books of the New Testament, which are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are about who? About the life of Jesus Christ, about the gospel. So sometimes they're called the gospels, uh, in case you didn't know. Paul defined the gospel so concisely this way, and this is, where, this is my go-to passage if somebody says, so what is the gospel? What's it all about? This, this is where I go. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 3. Now, Paul says, I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel that I preach to you. Okay, you ready? Here it is. That Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. That's the gospel. 
pure and simple. And this good news is more than just a ticket to heaven. I know some people are like, I got my ticket. I'm on, I'm going. No, it's not what it is. It's an invitation. It's an invitation to a new life, the forgiveness of sins, and an eternal relationship with a loving, eternal Father, our God. So let's break the gospel down this morning. First of all, God loves the world. And I know you're saying, whoa, that's, 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 quite, a, that's quite a statement because when I look at the world, it's not very loving, lovely to, to look at, is it? I mean, there's some nice places. I mean, there's some beautiful spots. But all in all, um, you know, the world would be a great place if it wasn't for the people. It was just, it's just, but God loves the world. So the first piece of good news is that God loves you. And that's so in your face with John 3.16 that we see all the time. And we even see it at football games. For this is the way God loved the world. He gave his one and his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but will have this thing called eternal life. Someone once said that people matter to God. People are valuable in God's sight. After all, he created them in his image, right? Back in Genesis chapter 1, and for some glorious purpose that reflects, obviously, back to God. So, but how valuable are we? I mean, can you, can you put a price tag on yourself? Anybody? Anybody want to dare to be arrogant enough to do that? I just, just wondering. I know you're out there, but okay, you're just quiet today. <laughs> How valuable are we? Well, we're valuable enough for God to purchase us back with someone infinitely more valuable than we are. God gave his one and only son so that we might inherit have, obtain eternal life. Parents, all of you parents out there, how valuable would something have to be for you to turn over the life of one of your children? And some of you are like, well, it depends on the day. Uh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Sorry. Not so with God. Not so with God. Jesus explained it in John 10.10. I have come and the Father sent me. Remember, he said that too. I have come so that they may have life and that they may have it abundantly. That's God's plan for anyone who calls on his name. But next, people are sinners. Have you noticed? People are sinners, and people are therefore separated from God by their sin. And it's this bad news that is such an important part of the good news that Paul states in, in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, all have sinned, would that, who would that include? Everybody. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the payoff of sin is death. Remember that the Bible does not say that a few sinned, like Hitler and the terrorists. That's easy. Or that some have sinned, like that mean boss you once had or that teacher in elementary school that I had. Or even... That most sinned, but all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, God's standard of excellence. And never forget, never forget that the payoff, the consequence of this sin is death. This thing called the good news is a big deal, right? I mean, it's the biggest deal. I've said it before, but we live in a world 
of dead men walking. Everyone is on death row. Yeah, they, they may be laying on a beach right now or they may be sitting on a pile of cash, but we're all the walking dead until Jesus. So from a biblical perspective, not only do people uh, do bad things because of their sin, but we are sinners in our deep, very nature. All the physical death that you and I see on a daily basis and in the news and read in history books is the consequence of our sin. And as bad as this is, there's a greater consequence than even that. What could be more worse? Spiritual death. Spiritual death separates people from God eternally, that loving Heavenly Father. And it is going to be in a fiery place of punishment. You can't ignore that. You can't shun that. You can't run from that. Well, I guess you can, but not for long. The Bible refers to this ultimate destination that I, I don't want anyone to go to as the second death, or as Revelation 20 puts it, the lake of fire, which we looked at in our core faith looking at future events. And I firmly believe that you cannot really relate with someone about the good news of Jesus Christ until you get a grip on the bad news. I believe that. There's no point to the good news if I don't have bad news to get out of. If a cure for a terminal disease was discovered, would that be good news? Yeah, yeah, we, we'd all go, oh man, is that cold? Did you hear about that yesterday on the news? That terminal disease, they, they got found a cure for it. But if I have that terminal disease myself, it's not good news. It's great news. It's fantastic news. It's changing news. It's life-altering news. It's life-saving news. I'm all in about that news. And that's how the gospel is for you and I who have received it. So how do you receive? How do you receive the gospel? Well, living a good life, which is nice, cannot earn it. And this is really an extension of that bad news we just finished talking about. No, no amount of doing good can earn you the way to heaven. No amount of uh, some, uh, of doing the right things can establish some sort of a relationship with God the Father. It's just not going to happen. In Ephesians 2, 8, 9, Paul writes it this way, for by grace you are saved through faith, and it's not from yourself. It's not. Not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not from works, so that no one can boast about it. And I really hope you saw last week as uh, that, that one of the major problems of man-made religions as we went through the worldviews in our world today, and let's be real, even in the church today, is the belief that certain types of, of good works determined by the community you happen to be living in, the culture you happen to be in, or even by you that you establish for yourself, of doing enough of whatever that enough is Doing your best will somehow merit your way into heaven. Baptism will not save you. It's a command of God upon profession of your faith in Jesus Christ, but it doesn't save you. Having Christian parents, which is a really good thing, by the way, 
will not save you. Going to a church building on a regular basis will not save you. Going to a church building at, at Easter and Christmas will not save you. Giving to the poor, good idea, very merciful, will not save you. And the list can go on and on and on. You can just fill it in with whatever you think are things that people do to try to merit God's favor. favor. <clears throat> the Bible over and over again states that it is faith alone through Jesus Christ alone that your faith must be personally held. It's yours. No one can hold this for you. This is between you and God. And Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin. The way that God chose to deal with our sin problem is that Jesus Christ had to die on a cross for our sins. Uh, Paul states it in uh, Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates His own love for us that in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I realize it's in vogue today. I, I, I see it on, uh, on Facebook and online and other places all the time. For those who are vehemently opposed to this gospel message of its exclusiveness through Jesus Christ, that they paint the death of Jesus Christ on the cross as horrible news. I see this over and over. And they say, what kind of a God requires blood? Come on, you say He's a loving God, and He requires blood, torture, excruciating pain from His own Son. He's got to be a cruel being if this is the requirement. He's got to be some kind of a tyrant. But that's a warped view of God that quite naturally comes out from a warped view of ourselves and our sin. Uh, expect it. Only God can cut through that by His power and by His grace. And by the way, do you think people care about Jesus? On average, in the world, do you think people care about Jesus? So I, I, I asked that question as I was going through this, so I did a Google keyword search for God, just the word God, and it tracked it through um, the last year, 12 months. And so here, here, here's the graph, and right across the top line, high Google searches for God. Of course, that could be, you know, anything, little g, big g, all those sorts of things, every month of the year. Then I did a keyword search on top of that for Jesus, completely flat line across the bottom of the graph, except Christmas and Easter. So people do care about Jesus, but apparently not just that much. So here's the biblical point. Jesus' death paid the penalty that our loving and holy God required for our sins. It was Him for us. It was Him instead of us. In the Old Testament, animal sacrifices for sins illustrated this concept. We don't really have that today, so it's, it's hard, it's difficult. You, you, you really need to take some time and explain this to somebody if they've never thought it through. It's, it, it's difficult. Let's just, let's just be honest. I mean, we go buy meat at the grocery store. I mean, we don't see it slaughtered and killed and blood shed, and you probably don't even want me to talk like this, some of you. are like, stop it. 
One example is the Passover instructions that God gave the nation of Israel when they were enslaved in Egypt. They were in bondage. They were slaves to the Egyptian taskmasters. And God commanded that a lamb without blemish was to be killed, and then the blood was to be spread over the doorposts and the lintel. That's another one that people are going to get up and say, are you serious that God wanted you to do something as gross as that? Well, if you understand the grossness of your sin, yeah. And for those homes that had made the sacrifice and applied the blood the way that God said, the angel of death passed over those homes, thus the the name, the Passover. But for those who did not, the firstborn in that home was struck dead. This was the way key phrase, the way. This was the way God delivered Israel from the bondage of slavery in Egypt. You can read about it in Exodus 12. And in the New Testament, Jesus Christ is referred to as our Passover lamb, like in places like 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. So when God sees the blood of Jesus applied to your life, do you have that? Yeah, he's got it, you got it on the doorpost of your life, the blood of Jesus the Christ. When God sees that blood applied to your life, death passes by, and you are given life. Jesus stated it this way in John 5, 24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him, that's God, who sent me, has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from what? Death to life. So you must receive Jesus' sacrifice by faith. And John, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, writes in John 1.12, but to all who have received him, those who believe in his name, he has given the right to become God's children. I, I love that verse, by the way, uh, John 1.12, and I can never get over it. I can't comprehend it. I, I know it's true. I, I've appropriated it. I, I, I want to live it, but it's, it's so... I'm a child of deity. Wait a minute. (laughs) What? Actually, I'm a child of the only deity that there is. And he has sacrificed to himself to allow me to become his child. Crazy. This gospel requires my faith response to that good news message of Jesus Christ, a personal trust response in which I receive the benefits of what Jesus, the Son of God, did for me on that cross. I pray that at some point in your life you say yes to God. Yes, this is it. I believe, I trust, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I mean, doesn't take very long to figure that out. I'm desperately in need of salvation. I'm done. I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop running to stand still. I can't do this anymore. Yes, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and yes, I trust Him as my Savior to fulfill His plan in my life now and forevermore. So I, I've mentioned two words. Uh, I've talked about faith, and I've talked about repentance, because there's such a crucial part of this gospel message. So, so we read in Scripture that the conditions for salvation include both faith and repentance. 
And faith can be defined, let's look at that first. Faith can be defined as belief or trust, okay? Belief or trust. My faith is trust or belief in what Jesus has done on the cross. I believe that. I trust that. It's not my mommy's faith. It's not my daddy's faith. It's my faith. And it is the only means of how I receive the gift of eternal life from my adoptive father. It's the only way it can happen. So I trust that. I believe that. Faith or belief, by the way, is mentioned in the New Testament almost 200 times as the sole condition to inherit eternal life. <laughs> wow. One of those is in Acts 16, 30, and 31, just in case you think I'm, I'm lying. Um, I know you're not thinking that, but maybe you are. Then he, that's the Philippian jailer who's just been blown away because Paul and Silas are in there singing hymns and they're in chains and all of a sudden the chains fall off, the earthquake happens, the doors open, and they're free. And he's like, ah! And then, because he's got to kill himself because that's the way it went back then. So he, and then he, the Philippian jailer, brought them outside and said, wouldn't you love this if people just stopped you on the street and said, Hey, what must I do to be saved? I mean, that's where we want everybody to get to, and he's there. And then they, that's Paul and Silas, replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. Repentance. That means a changing of your mind. How many of you change your mind a lot? <laughs> and somebody beside you is like, You do change your mind a lot. You really do. Yeah, yeah. So many of you don't like change, but you sure do change your mind a lot. I just Repentance. It's a, it's a genuine change of your mind and your heart. It's not, not a great distance between those two, but it's, it's a great change about who Jesus is. You may have thought one thing once, but now you get it. And, and it's transferring your trust in money, science, your family, the government, well, that was easy, um, education, that wasn't fair, um, yourself, transferring all that trust in whatever it is that you put your trust in and transferring it all to trust in God, what He says, what He has done. A good reminder of that is actually written on our money, and it is, in God we trust. So I trust in this. No, I don't. Well, thanks for the reminder. There it is. It's built into your day. On the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter said it this way, to the very first crowd hearing the first message from, the, from Christ's new body on earth called his church. And he said it this way, repent. He started with that one. Repent in each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. How does faith and repentance uh, relate to each other in my life as I come to know Jesus Christ as my Savior and continue to live for Christ? Faith in Jesus emphasizes our trust in Jesus, while repentance emphasizes our change of heart um, about who Jesus is. Uh, who we really are and what God has done for us through Jesus. It's like salvation is a coin. Here's, here's money again. Um, salvation is like a coin, and a coin has how many sides? It's, it's, it's an easy class. It really is. I mean, you should all get 100. Okay? Two sides on the coin. One side, what do you think one side's going to be? 
Repentance. What do you think the other side's going to be? Faith. Very good. You guys, yeah. You all get a happy face. One coin, but two aspects of the salvation process. It's, it's presented for us in, in Acts chapter 20, verse, uh, verse 21. Testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. They're both in the same verse. So, all right, last question I want to leave with you today. A question that, honestly, I get asked all the time. Maybe some of you ask me it. Can I lose it? Can I lose it? I have days when I, I feel like I'm not saved. Can I, have I lost it? Is that what's going on? Oh, no. Eternal security. It's an objective fact that once a person is truly saved, their salvation cannot be lost. Someone stated it this way, once saved, always saved. It's eternal security. And I believe, I believe that true salvation can't be lost. I believe it's easily demonstrated from Scripture. I believe the real issue that we all have is this. Was someone who falls away, walks away from the faith, ever really saved in the first place? I think that's the issue. So to be fair, there are plenty of Christians, I, I, I know them personally, who believe that a person can lose their salvation based on certain passages in the Bible, two in particular, Hebrews 6 and 2 Peter chapter 2. But I believe, and I believe I faithfully taught over the last 17 years, that there are many other clearer passages that teach eternal security. And one of those is from John chapter 10, um, verses 27 through 29, and it's Jesus himself. And listen how, listen how Jesus puts it, frames it. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give my sheep eternal life, and they will never, what? Perish. Perish. And no one will what? Snatch them out of my hand. Why? Because my dad, my father, who has given them to me is greater than everything, all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. No one. Nobody. Are you a sheep? Uh, very good. Very good. Right on cue. Perfect. Anyway, I'm going to leave that. There is, there is hardly a stronger way for me to say this, that the sheep, that's me, will never perish from the hand of an all-powerful God. A Christian, one of Christ's, is kept for eternal salvation by the power of God. Peter said it in 1 Peter 1.5, who by God's power are being guarded. <laughs> you want to guard? How about God? Through faith for a salvation to be revealed in the last time. In this core faith series we've been going through together in the summer, I've asked this a number of times, how powerful is your God? How powerful our faith walking through this life with all of its minefields, all of its distractions, is not so much that we keep Him, but He's keeping us. Can we ever 
come to a place where we're so arrogant and proud to think that we are actually capable to keep so great a salvation all by our own will and strength. I don't know about you, but if it's up to me, I'm out after strike three. And that happened a long time ago. <laughs> I'm on strike. Ah, oh, never mind. We won't go there. See, that's a faith thing. That's, that's, that's this trust thing. It's not dependent on you. It never was. Not for your salvation and not to keep your salvation. It's got nothing to do with us. The gospel is the great news that in spite of this mess that we have all made, this rebellion in which we are still conceiving of new ways to exhibit our waywardness, God has made a way. God has made the only way out of the mess, salvation to mankind through Jesus Christ. We were lost, but now we're found. We were guilty, and now we're not guilty. We were unforgiven, and now we're forgiven. We were an enemy of God, and now we're at peace with God. Are you at peace with God? We had an eternal death sentence waiting on death row, and now I have eternal life. I've been released. I'm free. Let me close out our core faith message this morning by putting the, the gospel in another light, just looking at it from a, a different, different angle. Are you willing to be hated for living the gospel? I mean, it's easy to say yes right now, right? But when you walk out the door and it's your brother, it's your sister, it's your son, it's your daughter, it's your grandfather, it's your boss, it's your teacher, hear me clearly on this. Of course, this does, does not mean being hateful to others and using the gospel as your excuse. <laughs> That's not what I'm talking about. It doesn't mean seeking to be hated at every opportunity and having this persecution complex or thinking people don't like you because you're following Jesus when they actually don't like you because of the way you're acting. <laughs> and it's not lining up with how Jesus would want you to act. I do, I do in my own life seek to practice being kind, being gracious, being patient with non-Christians I'm around, with Christians I'm around, and sometimes I sure fail at it. Do you? It's, it's that sin thing. That's why I want Jesus to call me home because then I don't have to deal with that anymore, but he hasn't, so here we are. But at some point, the greatest kindness that you and I can offer our friends and our family and even our enemies coming out of a life of humility, a life of faithfulness to Jesus Christ, is the true good news about Jesus spoken. The good news will always involve some very, very bad news. You can't get over that about human failure, human sinfulness. And that's what makes the cross an offense, meaning it really ticks some people off. But the danger for you and I comes when the church of God, we, the body of Jesus Christ, live in such fear of being mislabeled, and we will be mislabeled. So in fear that we will not step forward in, a, in an unapologetic and unashamed way um, 
that we're all out followers for Jesus Christ, whatever that takes, whatever that means. We need to be okay that they can call us they can call us Jesus freaks. They can call us ignorant. They can call us uncool. They can call us intolerant, and they are. Or anything they want, that's okay. I get it. I once thought that too. I know. I understand. But we still live in love. And we live out all the other fruits of the Spirit in spite of all that nonsense. Everything that this gospel provides us, we live out in front of them always. Would you pray with me? Let's take this to God. Father, we know your presence is here. We know you are with us continually wherever we go. Lord, we thank you for the gift of salvation that comes to us through your Son and our Savior. We, we, need, to, we need to, Lord, take more and more time digesting and meditating and reading and thinking on this. But God, we, we desperately need to sense your motivation and by your power and your grace take this into the world. And by your grace we will do so. In Jesus' name, amen.